one day I'll learn how to use the microphone. Been here for two years, and they still have to flash the red on the screen for me sometimes. We are so fortunate around here to have the opportunity to provide services like the Counseling Center, and I do hope that you'll check it out at 3 o'clock um, at the open house. And if you've never been in the Marvin campus, that alone should be reason enough for you to go to the open house. Um, it's a beautiful campus, beautiful sanctuary, um, and it's a great space for us to be able to provide these counseling services to people. Our scripture today comes from Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and then 29 through 32. Someone came up to me beforehand and, and let me know that one of the Bible studies, one of the life groups that we have here, um, is going through Ephesians right now, so now I'm nervous. Um, thank you. <laughs> they'll, they'll, be, they'll come up to me later with their notes, I'm sure. But we're going through Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and 29 through 32. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord... I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one spirit. Just as God call also called you into one hope, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given his grace to each one of us, measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. That's why scripture says, when he climbed up to the heights, he captured prisoners and he gave gifts to people. What does the phrase, he climbed up, mean, if it doesn't mean that he had first gone down into the lower regions, the earth? The one who went down is the same one who climbed above all the heavens so that he might fill everything. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building out the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. The whole body grows from him as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does its part. Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, anger, shouting, and slander, along with every other evil. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving to each other. In the same way, God forgave you in Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Dear God, Holy Spirit, fill me up that I may be used as merely a vessel of your words. Pour those words out on these, your people, so that they may hear what you have to say to them today. Fill me up so that I may pour out to these, your people, in such a way that they are able to go out and pour out onto others. That they are able to receive your spirit in such a way that when all who encounter them in turn, encounter you. And may those words that come out of my mouth that are not of you, but are instead of me, may those words fall upon deaf ears. Amen.
Well, I had a huge prayer request um, of mine recently come true. When I first um, met with Terry about coming on board here, one of the things and one of our goals for, for my role here as evangelism pastor was to be able to go out into the community and talk to people who are kind of wrestling with faith questions and to really engage with them and talk to them and, and, and have, um, have some, some dialogue with them. And so about a month or two ago, two separate people, um, both from Indian Trail, came up to me on two separate occasions and said, we're looking for a small group, a way that I, we, can, we can meet and, and talk to other people. I'm really wrestling with certain questions of the faith, and we really would like to, um, I'm really looking for this small group. Now, these are two people who do not know each other, who have nothing in common other than they both came to me and asked me, you know, do you know any other people around our age range who um, would like to, to talk about these questions? I would love to engage with these questions. And, oh, yes, I'm from Indian Trail. Now, what are the chances of that, right? That is all God, right? So I was um, talking to them on Tuesday, and one of the things that came out from, from a lot of the conversation was, I just want community. If you are in your 20s and, and, Indian, and living in Indian Trail, it may be a surprise, but you're probably not in the majority, Right? Um, most people who are in their 20s in the Charlotte metro area are going to live in South End, right? I mean, I don't know if y'all are aware of this, but that's, that's pretty much where young, the young population lives in Charlotte. Is South End, maybe Plaza Midwood, but somewhere close to downtown that's still um, affordable. We'll argue about that later, but um, <laughs> they're going to live closer to downtown. And so it's really hard for people who live outside of 485. Now, if any of you from, are from Atlanta, um, you know the term OTP. Charlotte has our own OTP um, outside of 485. It's really hard to engage and to meet people who are in your same stage of life. And so that's been, my heart has been for that for a while, but it's, it's, it is hard when it's, you're trying to connect one or two people. But, but anyway, these two people came up to me, and, and both of them said, I really am seeking community. And what does that look like? That looks like being able to engage and to be able to actively talk and have deep, meaningful conversations with people who may or may not think like you, but who are going to respect you and love you and care for you through it. So I told them, I said, I'm, I'm preaching on Sunday and I, I need some help from you. I, I want to I involve you in this conversation. And so I asked them, I said, where have you seen community at work? Where have you seen really good, really strong community. I was hoping, secretly, maybe not so secretly, that they would say, well, right here, right now, this is community. This is great. This is the best community. They did not say that. Um, what they did say was, when I, um, I've seen community at work after 9-11. And it was funny because the one person said this, said, I, you know, I'm thinking 9-11. The other said, I was thinking the same exact thing. And both of them shared with me, and if you think about it, this was a time when we all kind of bonded together and all prayed for each other and, and we loved on each other. And, and some, were, some of you may have even be, been personally affected by the tragedy that happened during 9-11. But we were all kind of glued to our TVs, wondering what was going on and trying to figure out what was going on. And we all bonded together as a greater community. And then I asked, well... Is it ever possible, I said, um, is it ever possible to have a good community that comes from a bad thing or comes in a bad way? And 9-11 being one example of that, but I said specifically, is, is, is community ever formed for a bad purpose or for 
for kind of an, an evil purpose, but can there be good community with kind of a, a bad purpose to it? And one of the girls said, well, um, women said, well, um, here's, here's an example that I've seen in my life. She said, when I was in college, I worked for a summer camp, worked for, it was a Christian summer camp, I think it was YMCA, something along those lines, a, a, a camp, a summer camp. And she said, we bonded because there was one weird kid on staff. There was that one weird kid, and none of us liked him. We were all annoyed by him, and we all bonded over the fact that we could not stand this one kid. And she's like, the interesting thing was, once he left, and I don't know the circumstances why he left, I don't remember. Um, he, she said, once he left, and once we didn't have that bond over making fun of him, we all of a sudden were no longer friends, and we were all of a sudden at each other's throats. Our community, our bond, was all of a sudden torn apart. She's like, it's really interesting, but, but we were seeking, and we were, we were looking at, um, we were looking and bonded together as community over, over a common enemy, over a common um, way that we could disregard and, and throw someone out of our community. And if you think about the bad communities that you've seen or, or communities that you've seen that have been hurtful maybe, a lot of times that is what happens. People bond together out of a common purpose of throwing someone else out of the community. And pretty soon we as Christians are not necessarily um, immune to that desire. Pretty soon we as Christians are not immune to the, to the desire to, to exclude another so that our community, our bond, feels a little safer. It feels a little tighter knit. In fact, sometimes it can even go to the point where we even want to change Scripture. And soon our version of this Scripture says, As I live, says the Lord, some knees will bow to me. And some tongues will praise, will give praise to God. That's how we change it. We, we want to say, okay, that person that I don't like very much who's in my community, I'm sure that they don't really love Jesus. Or Jesus doesn't really love them, and so I don't have to either. Because it's a lot easier to throw someone out and to bond together against a common enemy than it is to try and figure out what it looks like to love all. But that's not what the scripture says, does it? It says, instead, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. Everyone. See, our God is an, ex is an inclusive God. Our God is a God who loves all, despite all things, despite all evils, despite all ills, despite all sin. Our God is a God who loves all and wants to include all. And sometimes that, that makes us, gives us some problems sometimes. It gives us some challenges sometimes. So I noted to these two young women, I said, you know, have you noticed that our examples of good community have all come at the expense of others? For 9-11, we were kind of bonded against a common enemy, and for um, this example of, of your camp, you were bonded against, uh, bonded because of disliking this one person, of excluding this person. I said, where have you seen community where it's not exclusive but instead inclusive? Where, where have you seen community that has gone really, really well for great purpose, for a great, um, uh, for a way of building others up? And it was funny because one, one of the young women is someone who goes to my same gym, and she said, well, it's like us in the gym. 
we all want to cheer each other on and we all want to celebrate. In fact, not two days before, we had all gone out to support. We have an Olympic weightlifting team and a powerlifting team. So they're two separate teams, two separate sports. We don't have to get into what the difference is, but they're two separate sports. And so we have two separate teams. So our powerlifting team, our Olympic weightlifting team was competing and our powerlifting team went out to cheer them on. And it was a great sense of community, a great sense of love and support, and a great sense of, of, of cheering each other on for a greater purpose and a common purpose. And that day, she said, no one was excluded. We were all part of this greater purpose and greater plan. And I think, and if I will share with you that I'm, I'm kind of the, the sports nerd on, on staff. I think that sports community can teach us a lot about how we can live as Christians and how we, how we are called to live as community. And I, I'm always fascinated by it. And so, of course, the nerd in me wanted statistics because my feeling right now, and some of you are very well aware of this, but my feeling right now is that sports um, plays a bigger role in our lives than church sometimes, right? Sports sometimes have replaced church in terms of how we find community, how we find love, how we find respect. And so I, I've been fascinated for a while as to why that really is. And so I went and, and looked up some statistics. Now, these are statistics from CSO Sports, which is a Christian organization. 41 million kids play sports in the U.S., 41 million kids. Now, that's nowhere close to the number of Christians. I thought for a second it might be, but it's nowhere close. But 41 million kids play sports in the U.S. Here's what's interesting. I want this to stick in our heads. 72% of kids who play sports would rather play on a losing team than sit on the bench for a winning team. I would be rather be in the game playing and lose than have to sit and watch you win. I just want to play. 71% of kids say they wouldn't care if the score was kept. Now, I will tell you that I'm one of the 29%. I want the score kept. <laughs> but 71% of kids say they wouldn't care if the score was kept. And what this shares for us, what this, what this teaches us, is that just as creating a common enemy can create a common bond, so can having a common purpose. And the other thing that that, that teaches us is something in us wants to be a part of the game. Now, if, if I ask y'all, probably most of us want to be in the game and on the winning team. But something in us, something, some part in us, we desire to be a part of that greater purpose. We desire to be a part of the game. We want to be a part of what is going on. So why is it then that it's so easy for us to sit on the sidelines when it comes to our faith? Why is it then that it is so easy for us to watch other people diving into Scripture, other people doing things for, to serve the Lord? Why is it so easy for us to shuffle in on Sunday morning and watch and sit on the sidelines? Don't you want to be a part of what God is doing? And I will say, I will say, I was, I was going through this, and I, I, I think, so one of, one of the things that I wrestle with is why, why we are picking sports over church sometimes. I mean, we are, we, I, I'm, I don't think that I'm telling you any new um, information here. A lot of people 
now are practicing on Sunday mornings, and they're picking sports teams over church on Sunday mornings, which it wasn't like that when I grew up, I will say. It was not like that. I I mean, I just had a birthday, but I'm still not that old, okay? But it was not like that. We didn't have practices on Sunday mornings. But now, more and more, students are having to pick sports over church. And I think when it comes down to it, I think what happens is these aren't people who don't love Jesus, who don't love their church, who don't love God. These aren't the people who are practicing on Sunday mornings. These are the people who know that they're forgiven. And if we're really honest, here's what I think happens, is God would make a terrible college football coach because he loves us whether or not we show up for practice. He would love us whether or not we catch the ball. He would not ever yell at us. I don't know if you've ever been around high school or college football coaches, but they don't use nice words to their players all the time. In fact, all the things that Ephesians tells us about being forgiving and loving and being kind with our words, those are all things that describe God, not so much football coaches sometimes. God would be an awful, awful football coach because he would forgive you for missing games and for missing the ball. So sometimes I struggle with this whole grace thing because God loves us whether or not we read our Bible. God loves us whether or not we go to church. God loves us whether or not we're engaged and active in serving God. God still loves us. God still forgives us. God still chases after our heart. And sometimes it's hard for me to wrap my brain around that because I want more credit for being up here than the person who's sitting at home right now. I want a little more credit for that, right? But that's not how God works. God loves us no matter what. So why get involved? Because it is our duty to respond to that love that God already has given us. It's not about whether or not we, we can earn our way to grace. We know that that is not true, that grace already is given to us. It's do we respond? How do we respond to that grace? How do we respond to that love that God has shown us? And more than that, more than that, I think we need to understand that we are all called to being a part of what God is already doing here. We are all called to not sit on the sidelines, but to be active in the game, to be active in all of God's work that God already is doing here. Now, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 tells us this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. This is your church. This is God's church. Now, this is God's church. But we also are invited to take ownership with it. That we are also called to build up the body of Christ. We also are called to be active participants in what God is already doing. And I will say this. There's a reason that 72% of kids would rather be in the game than on the bench. It's because how lame is it to be on the bench? I mean... No offense if you're a bench warmer. I probably would have been a bench warmer if I played sports in high school. But it's not really fun, right? It's much more fun to be in the game, to be shooting uh, baskets or, or to be kicking the ball. Y'all, <laughs> I know some stuff about football, <laughs> other sports I'm not so good at. 
throwing the ball, I think, is in football, right? But you're supposed to kick it in soccer, right? Like, that's the difference. <laughs> but it's so much more fun. It's why Upward makes sure and makes a point that every child gets to play. Because we want to be in the game. We want to be active. We want to be a part of this. But also in church life, in regards to our faith life, in regards to our faith and how we live out our faith, it also means if you're sitting on the bench, you don't grow into your potential for how God and who God has created you to be. So Ephesians 4.13 says this, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Basically, it says this, the less time that you spend in intentional unity within the church, the less you will see growth in your unity with Christ. But likewise, the more time you spend seeking unity with Christ, the more time you will see unity with one another. In other words, as we grow closer to Christ, we'll grow closer to each other. And as we grow closer to each other in community, we'll grow closer to Christ. That's how it works. I had the awesome... um, opportunity i've been teasing for a while but finally they 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 said okay friday night but i had the awesome opportunity friday night to go and visit one of our new life groups it was just formed in the last life group open house that happened not long ago and it was so great they haven't been meeting for very long a couple months i think but it was really cool to see how they already have these bonds together and love for each other because we have this this Um, common unity in Christ now. They have this common unity in Christ now. They're growing more fully together in Christ. So just as creating a common enemy can create a common bond, so can can being an active participant in in the grace of God that God has already given you, in the unity that God has already given us. So I'll share with you a story about, um, I can I can share it because he's on a youth retreat right now. About uh, two years ago, um, Charlie Brown and I, our youth minister, um, he and I were, were chatting, and I was trying to design T-shirts for the church and trying to figure out how we were going to design T-shirts. And I was like, well, we should put our mission statement, we should put the worship, grow, proclaim, um, serve on, our, on the back of our shirts. We should do that. So these are the four points of our mission statement. So we're going to go ahead and put the mission statement up. This is our full mission statement. Our mission is to fulfill our call to be the physical presence of Jesus Christ by worshiping God with passion, intentionally growing in faith, proclaiming the gospel with grace, and humbly, excuse me, serving in love. So this is our full mission statement. And I said, we should do, you know, this is how our website's designed. If you've been to our website, we, we have four tabs that say worship, serve, grow, proclaim. Four, four tabs. I'm like, we're going to put them on t-shirts. And he stops me and he goes, Amy, that's not the most important part of our mission statement. The most important part of our mission statement is to be the physical presence of Jesus Christ. That's the most important part of our mission statement. Now, we explain how you do that. You do that by worshiping together. You do that by seeking out community, seeking out ways to grow, whether it be through Bible studies, short-term Bible studies, or through life groups. You do that through service, through whether it's um, serving on one of the teams that makes Sunday mornings happen through children or through youth, or whether it's through um, Operation Reach Out or some of the missions opportunities. You, that's how you 
become the physical presence of Jesus Christ. You do that by serving and by growing, by loving others, by growing closer to who Jesus Christ is. And we, um, in, a, in a couple of hours, will meet during Meet Weddington, and, and one of the things that we always go through is the five expectations of membership. And I've always, had a, I've always struggled a little bit with, with like telling people, well, we have expectations of membership. And one of the things that I realized, one of the things that changed in my brain was when I realized our five expectations of membership aren't obligations. They're ways, they're outlines, they're ways that we grow. They're ways that we can grow more fully into who Christ has called us to be. Christians must be actively engaged in strengthening what we already are. It's not that we're working towards grace or working towards who Christ has made us to be. Instead, we're trying to strengthen and, and trying to reveal how God has already called us to being active in what God's work is. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One of the things that's interesting about this particular passage is it's, it's a way that we explicitly see the Trinity kind of laid out. Because even the Trinity has, is a community of persons who grow and live together as God. And so as we seek God, as we seek Christ, as we grow in our own faith, we also will explore and will see and, and the unity of Christ in the church will also be revealed. That should be our biggest hope, to love all, to serve all, and to be who Christ has called us to be. Let's pray. Dear God, we are so grateful that you have given us the opportunity to be actively engaged in your mission and your work here. Show us where you call us to be. Show us where you call us to serve. Show us how you call us to love so that we may grow closer as a community together and grow closer as one in you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.